You're listening to episode 105 of the Journey to Launch podcast, how to quit like a millionaire so you can stop working and start living with Christy and Bryce. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. I can't believe it. This is episode 105, and it's going to be a good one. And you know, you love hearing the financial independence stories, the actual kind of from the other side of the journey, what it looks like. And Chrissy and Bryce, they are today's guests. They actually were on the podcast already. They were on episode 11. So if you want to go check that episode out first or after you listen to that, I would definitely go ahead and check that out. Chrissy and Bryce have an amazing story. They are world traveling early retirees. So they have already reached early retirement, financial independence, and they used to live in one of the most expensive cities in the world, Canada. But instead of drowning in debt, they rejected home ownership. So they talked more about that on episode 11. And they were able to build a seven-figure portfolio, which allowed them to travel in their 30s around the world. And they've been featured in a lot of great places. And they have a new book out called Quit Like a Millionaire, No Gimmicks, Luck, or Trust Fun Required. So you can stop working and start living. So I already know that this is going to be an amazing conversation. I actually read the book. The book is amazing. And I actually have some exciting news for you guys. I'm doing something a little special. Not a little special. This is like major special. I haven't done this before, but essentially for the next three episodes. So this episode and the next two episodes, I have on some personal finance friends who have amazing books. So I wanted to see what I could do to basically celebrate the fact that one, the podcast celebrated the two-year anniversary a couple episodes ago, and we are growing in downloads, growing in listenership. And to show my gratitude, I wanted to do something kind of special. And all the authors for the next three episodes, so Chrissy and Bryce, and then you'll hear for the next two episodes who those authors are, have agreed to give away some copies of their books to you. And I even wanted to sweeten the deal what else could I do for people who maybe don't win the book? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give people access to my free resource library where I have about at this point, nine worksheets and tools for you that you can use to further your journey to financial freedom. So with all that, I'm giving you an opportunity to win Chrissy and Bryce's book this week. So this episode comes out July 10th. And if you're listening to this in real time, that means the giveaway for Christy and Bryce's book will be open from July 10th to July 16th, end of day, Eastern time. So if you go to journeytolaunch.com slash win, you can enter your name and email to get put on a list to be entered into the contest to win Chrissy and Bryce's book. And with that, even if you don't win, you're going to get access to my free resource library where you can get eight to nine tips, tools, and resources to help you reach your financial freedom goals. So just for example, what's kind of like the resources in there, you ask, there is a debt payoff matrix. So for those of you who are still in debt, trying to figure out how to pay it off, I have a nifty tool, a nifty sheet to fill out for you to organize your debt and figure out which one and how to pay it off first. I also have a FI quick calculator to help you figure out how much you need to become 
financially independent, how much you need to save. So it's called the 25 times calculator. I also have a checklist of how to save money and get better with your finances and much more. So typically what I would ask for if you were to do something like this to win a book is to like, like my Facebook page or leave a review on Apple podcast review, but I'm not even going to do that guys. You can just enter for a chance to win this book by going to journeytolaunch.com slash win and then enter your name and email and you'll be entered to win and I will reach out to the winner. But I'm excited. This is the first time I've ever done something so big where I'm doing giveaways back to back and giving you access to the free resource library. So I'm excited. So once again, go to journeytolaunch.com slash win for your chance to win this week's book giveaway, Quit Like a Millionaire. Now, if you want any of the episode show notes, and so anything that we mentioned, or you want to just learn a little bit more about Chrissy and Bryce, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 105. That will take you to the episode show notes. And of course, follow me on social media and make sure you're telling a friend to tell a friend. Now, let's just hop right into this conversation with Christy and Bryce. Okay, journeyers, I have a special, special treat for you. I have returning guest on Christy and Bryce from Millennial Revolution. Hey, Christy and Bryce. Hey, hey Jamila. Good to talk to you again. <laughs> so I just put your book down, um, your new book, Quit Like a Millionaire, No Gimmicks, Luck, or Trust Fund Required. And so first of all, I love the title. <laughs> right up my alley, <laughs> right up my journeyers alley and what they're looking for when it comes to this elusive idea of living out their dreams and financial independence. How do you do that? And you talk about that in your book. But first, for people who did not hear you on the first podcast that you came on, you primarily on your episode with me, you talked more about how you became millionaires, why you thought buying a home was not a good idea. And so I don't want you to go through all that again, but I do want you to just really briefly like let people who don't know who you are, who you are, and then we'll get into like what you've been up to since our last chat. Hi, everyone. Hi, journeyers. So I'm Christy, and this is my husband, Bryce. We became financially independent at the age of 31 and 32, and we basically walked away from our jobs as software engineers living in one of the most expensive places in Canada. So one of the things that I realized was originally I was going down this normal path of buy the biggest house you can afford. Like that was my boss's advice. And then like pay off the mortgage until you're 65 and then get a pension and just do what everyone else is doing. It wasn't until I started actually house hunting in Toronto that I started realizing that I was going to get into a lot of debt. My work at the same time was getting less stable. And then my wake up call was actually one day I saw one of my coworkers collapse and almost die at his desk because he was just overworked so much and he was so stressed. And then at that point, we decided to change gears. And instead of going down the traditional path, we decided to go down the FI path and then change the money that we were putting towards buying a house and put it towards a portfolio and then invest it instead. And as a result, we were able to retire three years later at the age of 31 we were originally going to just take a year off to travel the world. But since we last talked to you, we've actually been traveling the world for almost four years now. So it's been quite the journey. And every day I wake up and I just can't believe it's my life. <laughs> I think what's interesting is just isn't, I mean, I'm sure you find it interesting too, because before we pressed record, you said that you thought you're more busy than ever. Like when you, even more than you were working now that you're mm -hmm. traveling, you're writing, you have a book. So can you talk about that? Because I think some people misinterpret when we talk, and I guess I know why, because we're saying fire. So financial independent retire early and they assume, okay, and 
retire early, that means you're not doing anything. But even even if you reach financial independence, right? I feel like the skill sets that allowed you to do that, that creativity, um, starting your blog, when you do have the ability now to do what you want, like you tend to work harder because you have all these ideas and these skill sets that you want to get out into the world. That was the intention, first of all, to sit on a beach and not do anything. <laughs> and we started the blog and I'm, I'm, and I'm sure you started the podcast as kind of like a passion project. Let's kind of see where this goes in this kind of thing. And I think what both you and I know, we, we saw each other two years ago at FinCon. And even back then, FIRE was kind of these kind of weirdos in the woods that are like spreadsheet nerds. And they're kind of like, even at FinCon, which uh, for your readers is like a personal finance conference, FIRE was like this weird subset of like six or eight people inside the wider personal finance realm. And ever since then, it's grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. People keep saying the fire is spreading, the fire is spreading. And now people, it's actually becoming like almost a global movement. And because of that, the hunger for like more people are hearing about this, more people are reading of stories that, of people that have done this. Like they're seeing pictures of us lounging around on a beach or bouncing around in, in, in Switzerland. And they're like, hey, what's this? I want to do that too. And what naturally kind of started happening is more and more people wanted to know how that works and how it works. And as a result, there's more and more stuff for us to do to explain it to like, you know, a growing audience and growing audience. And as a result, we became busier and busier and busier because we were just kind of like, okay, how do we help as many people as possible? And because honestly, we didn't do any of this kind of stuff for the money. But when you start doing stuff just to like try to help as many people as possible, you kind of naturally monetize on it because like people kind of want to go, oh my God, you helped me in so much. How can I pay you back? Do you have a book coming out? I would, I would buy that. And then we kind of go, oh gee, maybe we should, you know, and that's actually what happened with how we got to writing a book in the first place. Uh, do you want to tell the story about that? Yeah, it's actually really bizarre. Uh, we were not actually thinking about writing a book at all. So there was an editor from Penguin that actually contacted us one day and she actually told us that she found us because one of her clients who is a Hollywood actress is a fan of our blog and uh, recommended our blog to her. And then she read it and she said, would you guys like to write a book? <laughs> and my first instinct was like, is this a scam? Like, is this real? There cannot, there's no way. Right. Because, you know, as a, as a kid, I always wanted to be a writer. So like for a while before we wrote this book, we were writing children's books and just begging begging the uh, like publishing industry like to read it. Yeah, just like, please yeah. read it. And now they're coming to us and we're like, uh, this cannot be real. So yeah, it's really not something that it, we intended to do. Um, and after we talked to the uh, editor, like she kind of found out about my childhood story. And then she, I was like, it's not really that special. I don't really know if I did anything special because I didn't really start a company. I, you know, it's not, it's not really that big a deal. And then she felt that it was a big deal because it's the fact that my story is replicable. It's like reproducible because I didn't have any advantages. And I actually went from like the bottom 1% of the, the world to like the top 1%. So she thought that if I actually show all the math and the practical step-to-step -step guide for how I actually got here, then other people would be able to reproduce it as well. Yeah. What's, what's really fascinating about her story and why we chose to write the story from her perspective is that Christy went from, this is criticism in the, of people looking at the fire movement and kind of saying, oh, it's for, you know, kind of like privileged people, people who grew up middle class or rich already. And they just kind of just went from rich to richer. And that might be somewhat valid. But for Chrissy's story, she went from like abject poverty, like like she had like her family would, grew up on like was living on at one point 44 cents a day. And and, you know, for me, the book, the, the book opens with her digging around in a medical waste heap looking for toys like that was her reality. And she kind of went from that and then went through the communists, like persecuting her family and this kind of stuff all the way up to like clawing her way into the middle class and then eventually learning how to become rich and then kind of stealing lessons from rich people and how to like 
and how to implement some of the lessons that they did on her own stuff and then becoming one of them herself. So it's this really, really uh, interesting journey from literally like the bottom 1% of the world in terms of material wealth all the way to becoming a millionaire. So as a result, how the book is structured is that everybody that's reading this can kind of look and see where they are on that spectrum and then just kind of say like, okay, that's kind of where I'm starting off now. And if they just kind of copy her moves going like forward, they'll eventually wind up a millionaire because that's just because everything that she does, anyone else can do. So that's kind of where that's kind of where the book came from. And that's why I definitely I can relate to your story with the not having the apparent and how can I say like the direct advantages that some people would consider money or being born into parents with money and all that. I could totally relate to that. But what I love and you talk about in the book is the disadvantages or things that people don't look at as advantages using that to build upon and to create like this wealth that you've created. And by that, like, I mean, like, you so you were not born into money. You did not have money, but your parents, your father stressed the, the value of education. And he's, you know, he said, or you said in the book that education is not a luxury. It's the difference between life and death. And I will say that for some, just even having that mindset about education is such an advantage because the same thing was with my mother. When she came here, her, her entire objective as a single mom here coming here with nothing was I need to get an education. And so she didn't take that for granted. And because she had that mindset, she instilled that in me, like the minimum, the bare minimum you're going to do is to get an education and like to not take that for granted. Um, so let's go a little bit back to kind of like your starting point, Christy, and how you did rise like from poverty to do what you've done. Like, I know that's an entire like story. And you talk about like scarcity and just like education. We, how did those qualities help you become what you are today? Basically being born in what was back then like a third world country and having lived through like persecution from the government. Um, and my dad had like gone through his life is like infinitely worse than mine. Like how much what kind of things he went through that gave me a totally different perspective of what my peers had gone through. And then when I came to Canada, I was able to see the world in a very different way from my peers um, because you end up being very grateful for little things that, you know, maybe your friends would not have even realized, like just having, you know, running water and hot water and being able to take a shower and not washing yourself from like hot water in, from a bucket or learning how to use a toilet, just like these basic things that uh, most people would take for granted. Uh, for me, like that was a luxury. And then, but then on top of that, like from my dad's teachings um, from how he grew up, being poor would have been like the least of his problems because the government, at least the government's not trying to kill you. So it's like, you know, it kind of gives you being in another country and seeing how things could have been so much worse taught me never to take anything for granted. And the fact that my dad was able to use education basically to save his own life as well as the life of all my family members, some of whom had actually been basically murdered by the Chinese government because of communism. Like just that whole mindset allowed me to see obstacles, not as obstacles or scarcity, not as scarcity, but like to turn it around and make it into something positive because things could always be worse. And I think if I hadn't had that perspective growing up in rural China, I would never be where I am today because I would just take the easy route. And if I ever ran into any kind of obstacles, I would just be like, you know, what's the point? Uh, there's no point in getting past them. Right. So I feel like perspective is absolutely key in this case. And it's like amazing that I got to hear from my dad's perspective and kind of live through this to see how far you can actually go if you can turn an obstacle into like a, an advantage. Right. And then you talk about that with the idea of CRAP, which is an acronym. What is CRAP? Because you talk about 
that scarcity mindset prepared you for success and it you allowed you to take the crap in your life and like use it for like good. When I grew up, it's the fact that creativity comes from the fact that when you're poor, you can't just throw money at your problems, right? So it's not just like, okay, well, uh, I'm bored, so I'm just going to go buy a movie ticket or uh, like, I'm hungry, I'm just going to go buy a burger. So the fact that like creativity is the fact that you can have constraints and it makes you more creative rather than makes you less creative, right? And then resilience. So one of the things that ends up happening when you are poor is that you kind of have to tough it out. Like one of the things I, that happened to me growing up was like, I got teased a lot at school because my parents bought me a lot of either my mom made me my own clothing or they bought it from a thrift store. So I got uh, teased a lot in high school and grade school. And that kind of developed that resilience later on that I used in university because university was really challenging. Like going through engineering was not challenge was not easy at all. And dealing with the internet people now, like like constantly crapping on, on, on yeah. just kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, right? you know? exactly. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't bother us. It doesn't, it doesn't bother, bother us, us at all. all. Yeah. And then adaptability. So like one of the things that my parents had to do was actually rent instead of own because they're new immigrants. They couldn't really get a loan and they didn't have the money to buy a house. And not only that, they had money, uh, they had to send money back home to support my family. So adaptability came from the fact that we were moving from place to place because of the rent. And I just had to pick up and leave and realize that life is always changing and you're always going to run into obstacles and situations that you're not familiar with. And I think that really helps me with my traveling lifestyle now, because whenever we run into a new place or when, whenever it's something that's unfamiliar, I welcome that. I, I love that challenge. And I love being able to like adapt to a new environment and then learn the language, meet a lot of the locals and understand what it's like to live somewhere different from what you're expecting. And then P is like perseverance, which is uh, one of the, I think that's one of the most important skills you can have because life is always going to throw crap at you, right? It's like for waiting through the crap. And if you don't have perseverance, you're not going to be able to get through it. Like life is not supposed to be easy and life is not supposed to be happiness all the time. And I think having gone through poverty and having gone through like the perspective of living in a third world country has taught me how to wade through the crap. So it's really the idea of like turning negatives into positives and you develop character as a result of that um, hardship rather than just throw up your hands and say, well, there's what's the point, right? Yeah, I'm just what was mean, that kind of thing, yeah. Right, so again, that's crap. That's the acronym. It stands for creativity, <laughs> resilience, adaptability, and perseverance. So I challenge anyone right now who has something negative or something about them that they feel is a roadblock. Um, and it's, you know, it could be a valid one, you know, no one's, I'm definitely not someone to take away that from someone, but to use that to see how you can um, pull out one of these things from it or all to build yourself up, to launch you further, because these are things that no matter um, where your starting point is, like even, you know, the rich people are born into like wealth, but definitely people who have like drunk themselves up out of poverty or made it to the next level. I've seen these qualities like in all of them. Um, in my mom, you know, who's not even a millionaire, but she's like done so much to put me on a stage to be in a better position. So I just wanted to like highlight that. One of the things that you mentioned in the book is that the problem when you do have more than you need, you don't realize the invisible waste. So when people come and I get this all the time when they're like, all right, I want to become a millionaire or I want to quit my job. I want to reach financial independence. But I don't know how to like do it because my expenses are so high. It's so much going on. Like, I just don't know how. And I think this concept of invisible waste, if people saw that, like how much they were actually spending more than they need or wasting more they needed to, like, would help them like realize like you have what you need. You just are you prepared to do the work, though? Are you prepared not to waste this much? Um, oh, yeah. Right. So let's talk about that a bit. 
Yeah, I mean, like we, we first kind of saw that because of, you know, we do so many case studies on our on our site. And because we have such an international readership, we get, you know, people that are sending in like all of their, their finances and how much they make and how much they spend from all over the world. And most of the time, people are just kind of like, I can't think of a single thing that I can cut. But the fact that the, the disparity between the budgets that people send us is insane. Like if I'm looking at a, uh, at somebody's like sometimes I kind of look at somebody who's living in like Indonesia and I'm just kind of like, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're pretty much like living as efficiently as you can, uh, possibly, you know, as you can. But then I look at someone that's like writing in from California and I'm like, holy crap, what, like, cause you're looking at their budget and there's line items that I've never even heard of. Like they're like, like, you know, three, $200 a month on soul cycle. What the hell is soul cycle? And that's like on top of a gym. And it's just like, what the hell? Like, there's like hair extensions for your dog. And like, it's like, like, I've never even heard of these. Like, like, I don't know what to cut here, but it's like, I've never even heard of any, like half of these things. So by definition, these things that can be cut. Right. And so it's like, that's where we kind of realize that there is a certain part of everyone's budget. And some people, that part is very, very fat. And some part that's very, very narrow that if you were to kind of get rid of it, you wouldn't notice like bank fees are a great example of something that everybody can get rid of. And it wouldn't bring down their happiness at all. Like nobody ever looks at their, at their thing, at their budget and says like, oh, good. I paid a hundred dollars in bank fees today. Yes. Right. So there are certain things that don't add to your happiness at all. And there are certain things that uh, even when you cut them, they actually, actually de-stresses you, for example. So one of the exercises that we ask people to do is uh, in, in the book is kind of like take their closet and kind of start put like put a coat hanger in the middle of it. And then every time you wear something from the closet, move it from the left side to, of the coat hanger to the right side of the coat hanger and you mark the coat hanger so you know which one it is. And then over time, you kind of create this map of how much of your closet is hot, like how much of this closet that you actually use regularly and how much of your closet you like you haven't touched all month. And, and after a while, you, you kind of realize that if you just took everything to the left of your closet of that coat hanger that you haven't touched in the last month, assuming that it's seasonal and all this kind of stuff, and you get rid of it, you wouldn't notice it because you don't even use them, right? Mm-hmm. So there is this kind of invisible waste in all of our kind of spending and um, and trying to identify what spending you can get rid of that doesn't that doesn't decrease your happiness is really uh, interesting because it's different for each person. Uh, so I, like an example I like to give is like, people kind of go, oh, I can't cut out my one cup of coffee a day and this kind of stuff. And maybe for them, that's true. But for her, she hates coffee. So like, that's not like a sacrifice at all. Cutting that coffee budget or drink or alcohol budget for her because she she doesn't drink. That's not a, a like a sacrifice at all. But if you were to, for example, you know, she's from a province in China that specializes in very spicy foods. But if you were to cut out that from her spending that she would be she would feel that a lot you know so it's like it's different for each person and part of the whole process of figuring out what part of your budget is painful to cut and which part of your budget is not painful to cut is very personal so you can't actually ever say hey everybody just stop eating out or i'm going to punch you in the face because some people really enjoy eating out and like we are we are those people we, we, are we really enjoy people. eating out we, we're in- and yeah i am too <laughs> yeah. we're in thailand right now and honestly for the past two, like two months we haven't cooked at all. We've just been eating out every single day because it's so incredibly cheap in Thailand to eat and the food is so good. So that's not something we're interested in cutting at all because it brings us a lot of happiness. But at the same time, because we're here in Thailand, the quality of the food like goes up, but the cost of it goes way, way, way down. So this is a good example of something that in which you can spend less and get a higher quality of life and it actually increases your happiness to spend less. Yeah, and like even the soul cycle example, again, if that soul cycle is something that someone enjoys doing, fine, right? If it fits into your budget and along with your goals and it's not competing with a, something you say you really want, like paying off debt or saving more, they keep it. But soul cycle and a gym membership and like all these other things, like you can't 
have it all yet. Like I kind of also relate it to this concept and we kind of touched upon it a little bit where you talk about, which I think this is ideal for people to get is that you should follow the bunny first and not your passion. And I almost see that too, was just like the things you enjoy. Like, you know, so maybe people do like the nicer car or the nicer house. Fine. Right. But don't try to get the nicer house and nicer car ne- today because it will like stint or stunt your progress and your journey to wealth versus if you sacrifice first. So well, let's talk about that because by following your, but the money, right? You, you guys were working in the traditional fields. You, and you said you wanted to be a writer, Chrissy, all your life, basically. But now that you, you were able to set yourself up to quit your job. Now you are actually like you're writing and you're getting paid to write. Like I knew I wanted to have money. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I followed when I went to school. Like I picked my major because like business management, investing. Okay. I think that's going to make me the most money. And I followed the money <laughs> so I could make the most money. So talk about that. Cause I think people get that kind of confused. Cause in the world now it's like, Oh, follow your passion, follow your passion. And it's like, uh, your passion may not allow you to make a lot of money in the beginning. So let's talk about that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. In the book, I talk about um, like a scoring system I used to actually pick a major because one of the reasons was because of growing up poor. Like my dad was actually still supporting family back home. And he said to me, if I, if I was rich, you know, you could totally go be a writer. And if it doesn't work out, I will support you. But you know, you need to stand on your own two feet because we have our other family members to worry about. So you're going to have to become independent. So as a result, I knew that if I were to become a writer and it didn't work out, I would have to rely on my, my parents. And there was going to be a lot of uh, difficulties from a money point of view. So instead, I decided, you know what, I'm going to forgo that and I'm going to actually go into engineering. Like when I did the math it, and I did the calculations, the return on investment for becoming an engineer made a lot of sense. And as it turns out, because like I wanted to be a writer, um, I ended up doing some writing on the side because there's nothing stopping you from following the money, but then also following your dreams on the side. Right. But you just have that paycheck that makes it steady. Right. So that whole advice of like, just follow your passion and the money will come. It really depends on your passion, because for me specifically, I wanted I started becoming like a children's author. And then as I was doing that, I found out like the average salary of a children's author was like five thousand dollars a year. And they end up having to do like have multiple jobs in order to make ends meet. And then not only that, when I tried to get published, I found out that 93 percent of all books sell less than a thousand copies. So I was like very, very grateful that I ended up doing the math and following the money first instead of following the passion, because as a result of getting like we like to talk about the FI armor, which is like, you know, once you become financially independent, this armor protects you against all the finance issues that you finance troubles and debt that you would be in if you actually followed your passion and didn't care about the money. And as a result, I was able to buy back my passion because once we became financially independent, I got the time back and I was actually able to become a writer anyway. So now instead of being a starving artist, I'm like a rich artist, <laughs> which is like, you know, something that I never would have thought was possible. And um, it's it's just the, the idea that blindly following your passion, like that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like do the actual math. And if you follow the money, you'll be able to buy back your passion rather than if you are willing to go down that path, just know that it's going to be very difficult and there's going to be a lot of obstacles. You're going to be juggling trying to be creative and trying to pay your bills at the same time. And in my personal experience, when you're trying to be creative and you have money um, that you have to worry about, it kind of stunts your creativity. One of the reasons why we are able to be creative and have that basically space and that room to breathe and room to create makes the art that we're creating so much better. Right. Yeah. And just just to reemphasize, to become a rich artist, you don't you don't become an artist and then get rich. You, you get rich and then become an artist. 
the art doesn't make you rich this to emphasize that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and it's also just like you said, like you have to also determine because some people are like, okay, I'm gonna follow the money. So I'm gonna like think about the career that might make me the most like and you talk about this in the book, like a doctor, or a lawyer. And some of that sometimes doesn't make sense. And with the pot score, which you can kind of just briefly go over, because the cost of getting that degree and the expected salary from that while eventually you may make six figures doing that like at first you might not with the debt that you have and so it doesn't make it something that's smart to pursue if you're following the money so talk about how someone should evaluate whether they're you know they're younger and they're looking at what career they want or they're older and they think you know what i need to you know make more money how should they evaluate trying to make more money um using like a pot score or just in general so you you have to look at two things like how much you're actually paying to get that degree and how much you can expect to earn Outside of minimum wage, right? Because so you can, stands for pay over tuition. Yeah. So just start with that because we've been saying that a lot without right. defining yeah, it. Yeah, pay over tuition. So you really have to worry about how much you pay for the tuition and then how you're actually going to get paid afterwards, right? We actually look at different uh, careers. And it's not just about, oh, just be a doctor and then you're, you're set. Because being a doctor, yeah, sure, you're, you're going to get paid well. But you're also paying a lot of money to get that degree. And you might be in school for 10 years, right? So becoming FI like within 10 years or 15 years, that's pretty much impossible because you're still going to be just working your way into residency and you're going to be working while everybody else is almost done, right? So that may not be the best option. But on the flip side, when people like, especially, you know, sometimes our parents dismiss jobs that may not require as much education, like maybe the, the job doesn't require a university degree, it's okay with an associate degree. And then sometimes that's actually a really good investment because I, I know plumbers working in Toronto that can make 100000 because nobody wants to do that job. Like nobody knows how to fix a sink anymore. They just rather call up someone to get it done for them. And as a result, there's like a hole in that market. But the person ended up paying very little to get that degree because maybe they only had to go to school for two years. And then they end up making a massive salary because nobody else wants to do that job. Everybody's just enamored with getting expensive degrees and, you know, just not thinking about whether that investment is really worth it. And so the pot score allows you to actually kind of practically evaluate, okay, yes, I want to go into this career, but do I want to get into a lot of debt for it? Do I want to go to school for 10 years for it? Does it make sense for me to look at something that has a better ratio and better return on my investment? Um, if that can get me to financial independence faster, at which point I can just do whatever I want. I can, I can just follow my passion and I don't have to worry about the money. Right. And I think that we need to kind of get away from this belief that edu- I, I say education is the way out of poverty and it really is more important. It's like life and death, but not all degrees are created equal and it shouldn't just be, okay, I'm going to go get a PhD. I'm going to get it like masters and then PhD and then just keep getting racking up debt and debt and just being hiding in academia. Like you really have to think about practically what makes sense in the long run in terms of providing you um, return on your investment. Yeah. And uh, by doing that, by calculating the score for two different you know degrees that are completely unrelated, you can actually kind of figure out which one is better by what the score says. So, so we were able to show in the book that the pot score of a plumber is actually a lot higher than it would be for a doctor because of how long it takes and how much and how expensive the degree is for the doctor, even though the doctor earns more, the plumber actually uh, it's actually a better return on investment because they earn more per dollar that they invest into their education versus a doctor that it takes a long time to pay off. Right, right. Okay, I hope you are enjoying today's episode, but let me just take a quick, quick moment to tell you about today's sponsor. 
gusto. You witnessed my journey to uplevel my life, my finances, and now you're actually watching me uplevel my business. I went from being an employee to being self-employed, and the next step is becoming an employer. Hiring people to not only help me bring my vision to life, but give them opportunities and outlets to help them support themselves, their families, and their own dreams. And so I'm always looking for tools and ways in which I can effectively run my business. So if you have a business or you know someone who does, you probably know that small business owners wear lots of hats. And some of those hats are totally great, but some like filing taxes and running payroll, for example, are not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing benefits and simple management tools all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Hello. So for my journeyer business owners, now you can get three months free when you run your first payroll. Try a demo and see it for yourself at gusto.com slash journey. Once again, that's gusto.com slash journey for three months free. All right, let's get back into this episode. So far, this is, I mean, some just great like information and you had so many like great points in this book. One of them was, and tell me if I'm pronouncing it right or wrong. Is Shiku? Is that how you yeah, say it? Shiku. Shiku. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Shiku. Okay. So explain that concept and how it relates to reaching your goals. Okay. So in Chinese culture, the word Shiku literally means eat bitterness. And when I was a child, my dad would tell me this word all the time because whenever I ran into any kind of issue, he's like, this is good for you. And you, you need to eat bitterness because in our culture, that's the that's a good thing. Like it's the belief that you persevere and you don't complain. And that's what actually builds character. Like you need to eat the bitterness before you taste the sweetness at the end. Right. So I, I found that concept was really helpful whenever I was struggling, because instead of seeing it as a struggle, I saw it as something that it's like I'm eating bitterness and therefore it's making me stronger. Um, so I feel like this particular like cultural belief has really helped me in many, many different areas. And I like some of the stories I tell in the book is like my dad did some things that you would think is pretty extreme. Like, you know, like he, he sometimes like it would consider abandonment <laughs> in Western culture. But then in Chinese culture, it's a way for you to develop character. Like he's basically saying like strength of character comes from the suffering in life and how you actually cope with that and how you actually deal with that. Because he realized that life could just flip on a dime as he did and your entire family could be sent off to a labor camp and the government could completely come after you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about that, right? And if you actually learn how to chuku, eat bitter, bitterness, you'll be able to develop that strength to be able to cope with anything that comes your way. So like he really didn't want to coddle me growing up. He really wanted me to like stand on my own two feet. And he really wanted me to see that as a strength rather than a weakness. I, I believe that the, the term actually came from the, the great like, three year famine yes. that yeah. happened after the Cultural Revolution. This is when all of China was kind of swept into this famine and uh, nobody had any food to eat. So they were resorted to eating this that was previously considered to be an inedible vegetable called a bitter melon so it was like so it's literally eating suffer like literally it's, what eating, suffering tastes like literally eating bitterness yeah. literally what suffering tastes like because that was the only food left and that's kind of stuff. yeah my dad still eats that crap i'm like every time i'm like dad why are you eating this this melon just it's bitterness. Like that's the only thing that it, there's nothing good about it. It right? does taste awful. Yeah. It's uh, like, I was totally shaming melon. I'm like, why are you eating this? 
And my dad's like, that's, I'm reminding myself of what suffering tastes like because that's what I had to go through. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and he's like, I don't ever want to forget that because life could turn on a dime. Yeah. So the people that survived were the ones that literally ate bitterness and then came out the other side stronger. So that's where it came from. <laughs> and that kind of perspective uh, and appreciation for the struggle, I think is important because I think oftentimes because people try to shorten the struggle or insulate themselves from these lessons and from the journey. I guess I should step back. So part of me feels like this. I always say about journey, just the journey to financial independence. I don't think it should be one of deprivation and you shouldn't be miserable doing it. But you also need to adapt a level of appreciation for the struggle. So it's not going to be easy per se, right? You're going to have to work hard. So whether it's going to be expanding your skill set, working harder, like, you know, stepping out your comfort zone, like you're going to have to delay gratification. Like that's not all going to seem pretty. But if you can, like in your perspective, Chrissy, when that kind of stuff was happening to you, and even sometimes for me, when I was like, you know, doing things that like, literally like people were like, how are you driving two hours one way to work? How are you doing this? And for me, because I like, not that I enjoyed it, but I, I, I knew that it was like the kind of person I became doing that. Like I knew like what it was preparing me for. It's also this delayed gratification thing that a lot of people have to struggle with. Like, you know what? Not right now. You can have the vacation of your dreams, but not right now. Right. Like Shiku. <laughs> like, yeah, true. Cool. Exactly. Yes. From struggle is where strength comes from. Yeah. That's kind this, of where that what that means. Th this is why on the blog, we like to talk about becoming financially independent, not just getting financial independence. And there's a huge distinction because when you become financially independent, that identity has changed. So after you become FI, you're not going to just throw money away and like not think about your investments and just be like, ah, eh, whatever, I'll just buy this and I won't think about it. And who cares? I'm not going to look at my investments because you've actually become that type of person that made it to financial independence. So you will never squander it and you will stay financially independent versus someone who just got financial independence. Like if somebody just gave you a million dollars, right? You would never be able to treat it the same way in that if you had to earn every single one of those dollars, you know how to keep it versus if somebody just, you just got it. It's like, well, that was easy. Well, I'll just spend it on some other venture and I'm sure I'll just become rich again. And then you start attributing luck. Um, you start confusing luck with talent and then you think that everything just comes easily. So it really is about becoming financially independent instead of getting financial independence. Although it's interesting that you, you said that because I've noticed uh, as well, like talking to a lot of people, especially in the U.S. who did grow up in poverty, it seems like a lot of people see it as a source of kind of like they're shame, ashamed about it. They're embarrassed yeah. about it. They don't like to because a lot of people that actually became financially independent um, yeah, like struggle actually had some like when I talked to them privately over drinks or whatever. Like that, it turns out that they oh, at least one of them, yeah. yeah if it's a couple, if it's yeah. a couple, at least one of them spent some time in poverty. But I'm just kind of like, I'm surprised by it because they never want to talk about mm -hmm. it because they're just kind of like I don't want to I don't want to think about it. I never want to go back to that thing again. I never want to ever think about that ever again because they're they're, they're almost embarrassed by it. Our culture almost sees that period of time as almost kind of like a wistful nostalgia, kind of like they're proud they got through it. So that's a little bit that that is a difference. I wonder if you could shed some light on that. So I've heard and I forgot who exactly said it. I think it was someone on the podcast before, but. Coming from poverty, like, so in my case, like coming from, you know, my mom, I was born in Jamaica. My mom was born in Jamaica. And, you know, at the time, like she didn't always have running water. Like they had to take, you know, bats in a bucket sometimes. And so from what she came from to like now, and then like just even people born here, like even just like black Americans who are, you know, and we all like, like generations removed from like slavery. The concept also is you know, my parents or my grandparents, my great grandparents came from such poverty. 
So the thought of FI, when we talk about the extreme versions of it, where people are like kind of really living bare bones, it's like, why am I choosing? Like that concept doesn't seem appealing because my ancestors like fought their way out to like put me in a position where I can enjoy life. And now I'm choosing to like, or, you know, not to enjoy. And so I think there's like a dynamic there that hit like, butts like heads against each other because I understand that, you know, you know, even like for me, like now, you know, I have children myself and I love the idea still of them having to like work for everything they have. I don't want to hand things to them because I know what it built for me to have to work. But then you also want to give them a starting point, like a bet. My mom gave me a starting point, you know, so like a better one than she had. So it's that like level of giving them more and having more, but also like not taking away the struggle. Like part of that, like the fruit of your labor comes from the struggle. <laughs> For sure. That's actually really interesting that you mentioned that because that that makes me think of like a personal experience I had, which is like when I actually became a millionaire and I quit my job, like my dad would not have it. He was just like, go back to work like you need like you're squandering all your opportunities. He was like sending me um, like job, like just jobs that he was finding for me. And he was like really trying hard to get me back to work because exactly like you're saying, like our parents struggled so far to get here. And then it's like, why would you want to deprive yourself? And like, you need to go back to work, like just be happy at work and you're going to earn more money. And you don't want to go back to that. Right. So he really he really struggled with the idea of me becoming financially independent. And it wasn't until like, just actually last year. <laughs> not that long ago that um, like I, I, I talked to him and just from seeing me live my life and how much freedom I've had and how much my health has gotten better that he started to realize this is not about deprivation. That's just like what you think it's going to be about. But when you actually live it, it's actually about thinking outside the box and buying your freedom back. So I've been able to kind of show him through action instead of words, just saying like, here's what I did. Here's the numbers. I just did it for him to see that. Oh my God, she's actually like hacking her life to be exactly what she wants to be. And it's all about fulfillment and doing what you love instead of deprivation. But I I completely understand where you're coming from. Like that our parents would look at that and be like, why are you doing this? (laughs) I think the shift also comes that then the fruits of your labor is not necessarily the material things. It's like the time. So of course, like I want to build wealth, generational wealth for my um, family and the generations to come, but not to, to detriment to them where they, you know, they don't know how to work for what they have. But I think it's important to like note that like the fruits of my labor now are being able to, you know, maybe we don't have like the nicest car on the block. That's fine. But I'm able to like walk my son to school every day. It's like that time wealth, which is the most important like wealth, right? Like that maybe changing the mindset or um, the perception of wealth for people is not necessarily like the outward appearance of it. But like, do you realize that? Yeah, we, but we could like technically we could take a vacation right now if we want. It's just not right now what we want. Or I can at least pick up and take my kids to Coney Island. Like, you know, we're in New York. So like Coney Island and that's pretty expensive. So things like that where I feel like there is value in wealth there where maybe someone else might see that as yeah, but they're not dressed in like the latest clothes and all that stuff. But it's like that's not where I'm putting value on wealth. That's different for me. Yeah, that's yeah. that's why. Like whenever we talk to the media and this kind of stuff, I hate talking about frugality. Like I, I never, like I, I almost never talk about it because there, it, it, there's this perception that the F in fire stands for frugal, <laughs> and that's not, and, and it's all like you know, be poor now so you can be poor forever, and it's just kind of like, well, that's not. So we make an active effort to sexify up our lifestyle. Like we're like, where are you now? We're like, we're in Thailand, we're in Hong Kong, we're in Thai, you know, uh, we're in Portugal and this kind of stuff, and. Um, because like what we're trying to emphasize is that the F actually stands for freedom. Like that, that's the thing that we're, that we're all working towards, not, not permanent frugality, but permanent freedom. 
and you know us bouncing around on a trampoline in switzerland and then riding a bike in portugal and then and then like uh lying on a beach in poland and this kind of stuff it's like that's what freedom looks like not sitting at home huddling around like a coal stove and being like this is great some people like that you know and i've actually i've met people i've interviewed some people where it's like they really enjoy that and i'm like good for you I think the other side of it, though. Yeah, right, do, yeah. you got to do you. Right. But if you do enjoy, like, that's why I always say, listen, if you and I say this all the time, I'm not super frugal. One day I want to buy my husband, like, just for supporting me so much and being awesome. I want to buy him a nice car one day, like, you know, surprise him for like something. I don't know. And I feel like that's probably taboo, like in the traditional fire sense. But I just feel like this is why I want to talk to different types of people, because you pick your path, you pick your journey, but just know the cost. of. So you want that nice car, you want that nice house. Like you're going to have to earn more to get it. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to save more to get it. I think one of the things that we're also sacrificing when we are going out to earn those things or even like if a job you like and a lot of people saying like, why would I quit my job if I actually absolutely love it? Is that one of the sacrifices is our health. Right. So one of the things that we've heard before, which is time is more important than money. Well, I think health is more important than time because you can have all the time in the world. But if you're bedridden, that's not freedom. Like that's completely worthless. So it's the idea that like, even if you have a job that you absolutely love, like if right now we're doing all these amazing things, we're writing books and we're going to talks and we're going movie premieres, but if it gets too much and I'm not spending time with people that I, I love and I'm, it's starting to like wear down my health and I get stressed out, even if it's something I, a job that I love, like financial independence is just a godsend because then you can just step it back and not have to sacrifice your health. Right. And one of the things that's really interesting is that my dad <laughs> recently, like he just had this epiphany because like he went, he, the sad thing is like he went to a, a colleague's funeral and it only took that in order to like give him that epiphany. So his, his friend would have retired at 65, but he kept working until he was 68 and he did enjoy his job and he really liked um, like doing what he was doing. But then he was working so much that his heart gave out and he didn't go into like checkups or anything like that. And then my dad was like, for, for the first time ever, instead of saying like, you need to go back to work, he was like, I'm happy you're doing this because I realized that health is actually the most important thing. And this is from my dad who at one point ran back into his office during an earthquake. I'm, I kid you not, during an earthquake, he went back to work. And then another time in which he skipped my civil wedding because he had a meeting at work. <laughs> this is from like my workaholic dad who's been through like <laughs> 10 years labor camp you know, the government out to get him, uh, family members murdered and like working his ass off and nothing is more important to work than work to like saying, okay, work is not the most important thing. Your health is the most important thing. Yeah. More than time, more than anything else. And the, the crazy thing is not just physical health, like of course, like mobility is important, but like your mental health. So like the mental health of it, where it's just like you are like imprisoned, like you meant like you are waking up and like miserable every day. Although I also feel like privilege we all have senses of privilege, like levels of it. it's different for everyone. But like, you know, the fact that you do have a job, if you have a job is to look for the, the pockets of appreciation for that job, because it is allowing you something. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit more about some of the um, not we're not going to get too technical here. But I still want to talk about home um, ownership, because you still don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> and I love that because I bring on a lot of people who talk about real estate investing. I um, love real estate. But I also love to talk about and be conscious and let people really make the decision of buying a home from a position of power. So tell me why um, you still think most people, most people buying homes are not a good idea. And this rule of 150. Just to clarify, when, like when we say buying a home, we're talking about your primary residence. So this has nothing to do with like real estate investing. That is absolutely another path to financial independence. And a lot of people have done it that way. Um, so one of the reasons why we really want to take a very close look into buy, like why buying your primary residence is not investment. 
is because we have seen so many people get into ridiculous amounts of debt um, in one of the most expensive cities in Toronto because of FOMO, right? Because of FOMO and the idea that if you're a renter, then you're losing money and you're building equity if you buy a house. So buy the biggest home you could possibly afford, right? So when you want to, like, we want people to be responsible when it comes to home ownership and not just believe in all this, you know, like hype from everyone else saying, oh, you're missing out and you have to like buy so much uh, house because otherwise, you know, you're going to miss out on the equity. Um, And that's why, like, what we like to say is, Basically, in the book, we talk about how when you pay your mortgage and you buy a house, the mortgage is not the only cost. There's so many other costs you have to consider, which is maintenance. You have to consider property taxes. You have to consider insurance. You have to consider closing costs. You have to consider all. And and this is another thing that people don't think about, like all the things you're buying to fill up that house. Because when we rent, we rent exactly what we need. But when you buy a house, most of the time you're buying more than you actually need to grow into it, or you're buying it because you think that that's it's easier to sell like a three bedroom house than if you only need like a one bedroom condo. And when we actually did the math in our book, it turns out that um, the additional costs on top of the uh, mortgage makes it so that it's like 50% more than what you're actually thinking. So if you are uh, looking at buying a place versus renting a place, a lot of people just look at the mortgage and they just compare the rent with the mortgage. Oh, well, if it's equal to the mortgage, then it's no brainer. I should definitely buy a house. And then they completely neglect all the other like maintenance costs and property taxes and all those additional costs of ownership. So we like to look at it so that like you need to evaluate very, very carefully and do the math. So one of the things we like to say on our blog is math that shit up because you got to math that shit up figure out whether it actually makes sense or not. And it could very well make sense. You could do the math and find out, you know what? It totally makes sense for me to buy this house. Like if the house is like $100,000 and the rent in that area is $1,000. Oh, heck yeah. Like I'm going to buy that house. It totally makes sense, right? So you need to do the math and figure it out to see if it actually makes sense for you before you jump into it and realize that the cost um, additional cost could add as much as 50% onto the mortgage cost. So the rule is the rule of 150 is when you're actually when you're evaluating whether uh, buying a house rather than renting it makes sense. Uh, you take your the mortgage that the bank is going to give you, you multiply it by 1.5. So, you know, 150% and then you compare that to the rent that you would have paid. And then you can kind of use that as a guideline. It's like a rule of thumb. Out. Yeah, it's a, it's a rule of thumb to tell you what, to kind of get, get you whether you're in the right ballpark of whether it's a good idea or not. Right. And I love the distinction between your primary home versus real estate investing. And then even if you are wanting to buy something, always look at it through a lens of inv- investing. Even if you plan on living there, make sure it's a good investment, not just a emotional, you know, I this, you know American dream. I know you're in Canada, but like that American dream, I just want to own a home. Like it needs to be bigger than that or else you can like land in a situation where you have too much home, not enough equity and just locked into that fixed rate because fixed rate, fixed um, cash flow expense, which is like the whole point of financial independence is like, you know, you want to be able to cover your cash flow from your investments or side income or whatever income that's coming in. And the higher your locked in expenses, the more money you have to save or have to bring in to cover that. From just like an informal survey of the people who write into us and say like, oh, here's my situation. Uh, what, did I, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? The, it seems like the number one mistake that Americans make is getting into too, too much student debt. Because as we know, student debt is so hard to discharge and get rid of and this kind of stuff. You, you get the wrong degree. Uh, you, you pay way too much and you're stuck with basically not making any more than minimum wage. And you're, there's just no way to get rid of it. So that's the, that's the most common mistake that Americans make. The second most common mistake Americans make is buying too much house. right? And it, but it's basically the same mistake in two situations, which is 
uh, overpaying for an asset that's not worth it, not not worth nearly that much, and then getting into debt for that for that asset. So it's it's the same mistake, which is not being able to evaluate how much that thing is worth, and then paying way too much of it with with debt, and then that's when you get into trouble, and that's when it becomes very very hard to dig out of. Right, right, and all those people, you know, and I know many of them. Like we had have good intentions, like you know, we're trying to pull ourselves up from just minimum wage jobs or poverty or just to get to the next level of life. And so you think you're doing all these things to do that, but you don't have the awareness or the education to know, which which is why I just love your platform, my platform that we're able to shed light on this so people can make more informed decisions. Now they can tell their family members, their kids, future generations, like, you know, this is how we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this from a, a, a just more holistic perspective. Okay. You have so many good points in this book, so I can keep going on and on. But I did want to touch upon a couple more things um, that you talked about. One was taxes. And it's funny because you said, like, you know, taxes are for the poor. And I want you to explain that. I know why you said it. And it makes sense to me totally. But there's also a concept of, and I get it, because when you're in like this journey, and I talk about it all the time, like invest as much as you can, pre-tax retirement accounts, you know, you're shielding money from taxes today, the whole spiel, right? And then when I look at the bigger picture, it's just like, everyone's trying to shield like money from taxes or pay the least amount of taxes. We know that's what the rich do to keep their wealth. But then it becomes to where it's like, but we do need taxes to make the world run <laughs> or the, you know, where we live run. So I I was thinking about this the other day where it's just like, you know, the taxes fuel our roads and our school system and all these things. Will, so I get why individually, you know, we want to do that. And then I think about just as a, as a society wise, like if everyone were successful at that, then we wouldn't have much public things and spaces. But anyway. So one of the things that's like um, that people assume is that like when you become financially independent, then you're like, you know, you're not paying taxes, but then you're actually like leeching off the system by getting, you know, healthcare or whatever the services. Um, so it's actually the opposite. Like what ended up happening is that after we retired, we left Canada. So we're actually not using any of the services, but we're actually paying taxes. So anything that comes out of like passion project goes back into the taxes. And what I realized is that I'm actually perfectly happy paying taxes because that's like all bonus. And like you said, absolutely. We need that um, infrastructure and all that stuff. Uh, so it's the idea of like taxes for poor people is not like don't pay taxes that you know, we don't want to support the infrastructure. Absolutely, we do want that. It's to make everyone aware of why there's such a divide between rich and poor, especially we see that in the States where like the rich just keep getting richer and why can poor people not get ahead? And then you hear Warren Buffett talk about how he pays less tax than his secretary. And you start wondering like, why? Like, how is this possible? How is it so unfair? And then you start realizing that rich people have a lot of these advantages with taxes and that they can shelter their wealth and the fact that investment income is taxed much more favorably than earned income, right? And the, the thing is, like, a lot of people don't understand this. And the thing is, like, when I grew up poor, I didn't know this either. Like, I had no clue that money could make more money. I had no clue that rich people actually had, I mean, these are le legal loopholes, but they're still loopholes that, you know, they could shelter their money the same way, much better than a person who's, like, making a salary. So we want people to actually be aware of this. And everything that we do is like absolutely legal. There's like nothing like there's no like moving money to the Cayman Islands or anything crazy like that. But it's the idea that this divide comes from the fact that rich people keep getting richer because they have all these advantages that poor people don't have. And yeah. then we want to educate as many people as possible about this. And to add to that, uh, because we've done so much kind of like we, we understand the, the taxation system of, of a lot more countries than just U.S. and Canada, I would argue that in the US, 
the taxation system seems to be deliberately designed to be as confusing and obfuscating as possible. And it seems to be doing that by design. Okay, so let me give you an example. Uh, so a lot of countries have like a similar kind of thing to a 401k. It's like a tax sheltering program. You put money into it and it defers your taxes. For us, it's called an RSP. For you guys, it's called 401k or 457 or 403b, depending on whatever uh, kind of company you're in. For most countries, if you forget to, um, to open up the account and, uh, and contribute to it, the, it carries forward. Like the room that you didn't use, you, sure, can, catch up. you, yeah. you can catch up later because it's, it's, none of it's lost. The government just kind of goes, okay, well, you didn't know, but that's cool. You can do it later. And it wasn't delivered. In the U.S., if you don't use it, it's gone. So this is an example of what privilege is really, really, you know, helpful in that if you grew up with privilege and you grew up in a middle class or wealthy family and then you go to your dad and say, okay, how how does this all this, what should I do with my paycheck? They will hook you up with an accountant. They will hook you up with their uh, tax guy and then they will teach you how this, uh, how to do all, how to open up the right accounts. What does 401k mean? What does a 457 mean? How do you use it? And all this kind of stuff uh, because it's not obvious at all. But if you grew up without privilege, you have nobody to ask. And if you don't ask and you and you you put it off, you you're at a huge disadvantage going forward. So in the U.S., it seems uh, I've noticed that the taxation system and the retirement system seems to be almost like a secret handshake. Like if you're in the know, there's tons of ways to defer taxes. But if you don't know, you pay for it, and you and you are you get further and further behind while people that do know the secret handshake that do know how the rules work get further further ahead and it almost it's it's almost a tool to widen the income disparity it it widens the income gap by using ignorance while politicians can always kind of say well i gave the poor people the tools to save taxes if they didn't use it that's their that's because they're stupid but it's not my fault i gave them the opportunity well but while in while at the same time making it as complicated and as obfuscated and as unforgiving as possible so that you keep ignorant people poor and you keep the people in the know wealthy. That's the, that, that is the most striking thing that I found in the U.S. system that is not present in any other system in the, in the world that I'm aware of. So I think it's an imperative for us to like even the playing field, yeah. like to make people aware of like this disparity that exists and the fact that they're trying to put all these gotchas and trying to make it as complicated as possible. We want to make it as simple as possible so that everybody understands and then they can actually choose to participate or not. But they need to be able to understand it in order to be able to do that. And making it as obfuscated as possible is not, it's like really, really bad. Like we really want to break that chain and we really want to make it as easy as possible for people to understand it's all a game jamila it's all a game but the thing is they one side is playing with a very different rules than the other side and that pisses me off mm-hmm. and i'm assuming that pisses you off too oh my gosh it pisses me off and it's annoying and you know i kind of I, I hate when i see people talk about privilege and that we you know everyone gets like the same like stuff and it's what you do with it. and i get it like from him from someone and you know this both of you guys too coming from a place where you weren't given anything. You had to work for it. Yeah, we all know about uh, self-reliability and responsibility and, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. But I always say this. I love this quote from Martin Luther King is that it's like cruel to tell a man to pull himself up from his bootstraps when the man has no boots. And so I feel like it's like our responsibility now that we know better and we have platforms to at least uh, give people like the boots or the, the, the tools to build their own boots. And of course, like it's not going to catch on very like quickly for a lot of people. And that's fine. But sometimes all they need is that seed to be planted. And I say this, I had my mom on the podcast and I talked about how she planted and gave me such a head start, just like your father in certain ways. And necessarily wasn't 
sometimes yes, money where they were able to support you through things, but maybe it wasn't a lot of money, but it was something or it was the basis of education. And like, that's the kind of seeds that we are planting and hopefully in people who maybe they're not earning six figures just yet. Maybe they're still trying to wrap their head around like 401ks and what to do next, but there's a seed planted where if they keep going and with encouragement from our platforms, we can, you know, say to them, just keep going. Like, you you know, that the, it will come because you, Christy, talk about you not being all that like great at school. Like you had to study really hard to get concepts. I'm the same way, by the way. Like, so I was reading part of your book and you were talking about something and I read like the page like four times. So I was like, wait. So it's I, I, like, I want people to understand that I am by no means a genius. <laughs> like, you know, there might be some qualities that I'm like, I'm really good in certain areas, but I'm not a mathematical genius. And so I feel like it's one of those things where you can do this too. You just have to have a growth mindset and believe that you can, you can learn to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, and you have yeah. to have mentors like you who are helping people forward and getting the message out there and helping people actually do that. I mean, like we get emails like now all the time where people kind of like, especially now, cause with the book, people are kind of coming up and saying, Oh my God, like you, you know, what was that? Like somebody sent, like you said, you had a really thoughtful email that you sent me like two years ago. Oh yeah. There's, there's people coming back. Like we haven't heard from them in, in two years. As soon as we announced the book, they were like, you, you sent me this email that like really inspired me. It was like so thoughtful. And then that helped me get out of debt like two years later. It's just, you, you just cannot believe like when you put this, um, like when you try to like help people and you try to make things as easy as possible, like it kind of ripples out. It has this rippling effect. And I'm, I'm sure you get that from the journeyers too, where it's like, you just like change people's lives and you don't even realize it. So it's like really under, um, like we are not trying to like, you know, sell people products or anything like that. We're trying to educate people and make it as easy as possible because I'm not a smart person. Right. So like, it took me a long time to understand and it's totally okay if you don't understand it the first time, because it takes me like 15 times before I understand any kind of like basic com concept. Right. So it's totally okay. But as long as you have that growth mindset that like, I don't understand it yet, but I will understand it. I'm not going to, I'm not a millionaire yet, but I will become a millionaire or like, I'm not financially independent yet, but I will be. And that's the key to getting where you need to go. Cause you will end up there. Um, you just need to go towards that direction. Right, right. Okay, so this has been an amazing chat. Like I said, I could keep talking to you forever, but I want you to let people know where they can find out more about you and get the book. Okay, so if you want to find out more about our book, you can go to www.quitlikeamillionaire.com. Um, so the book is available at any bookstore near you. Uh, you can buy it from Amazon. You can buy it from um, indie bookstores. And if you want to um, learn more about investing, we actually run a free workshop because we want people to be educated in this. We want to like just give out this information to as many people as possible. Change some lives. Um, you know? Yeah, it's uh, and if you can go, you can go to our website www.millennial-revolution.com, and there's a workshop there. You just uh, can follow our step-to-step -step guide on how to like build a portfolio like we do, completely from scratch for free. Awesome. Awesome. And when is the book out? Um, so the book is uh, out on July 9th. And uh, we're also going to have an audio version uh, coming out at the same time. So if you prefer that, um, like listening on your commute to work, that's going to be available as well. That book is called Quit Like a Millionaire. And you can find it more at www.quitlikeamillionaire.com. Okay. And I will link all that in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Christy and Bryce, for coming on the show, sharing all this information. I know people will get a lot from this. Anytime. Thanks so much for having us. Didn't I tell you that was going to be a good conversation? So I really hope you got a lot from this and you took notes. And if you got to listen again, go ahead and do that. But their book, it's really good. It's out now. 
And I really would recommend that you pick it up. Also, if you want your opportunity to win Christy and Bryce's book, go to journeytolaunch.com slash win. I'm giving away a free copy. And also, if you enter, whether you win or not, you're going to get access to my resource library for free, where you get a bunch of tools and resources, different ones to help you with your journey to financial freedom. So this is, I'm not going to be doing this often, but this is your chance to get in. So journeytolaunch.com slash win to get entered into the book contest and then access to the free resource library. Now, I'd love to hear what you loved about the episode. So make sure you're following me at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's where I'm hanging out socially. And then also, you know, I know most of you guys leave reviews or send me messages about the podcast and I love it. But if you can and you're listening to this in Apple Podcasts, that's that purple app on your iPhone. I love it, love it if you can leave a review and, you know, I read everyone and it keeps me, like I said, motivated. It makes me like, yes, yes, people are getting it. You're enjoying this. And I just love reading them. So thank you in advance for doing that. Now, stay tuned for next week's episode. We're giving away another book by another great author. And until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.